Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible, because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome again to the New Books Network. Today, we are talking about with uh, Luca San about his recent book, The Venice Arsenal Between History, Heritage, and Reuse. Uh, which is a Rutledge focus book. I am your host today, Bernardo Batis Lasson. And uh, with us is Luca San, who is at the University of Bologna and is involved in the management of arts heritage organizations within an international comparative perspective with fieldworks in China, Turkey, Peru, Ecuador, and Europe. He's the author or co-author of a number of books, including Management Rhetoric and Arts, in 2006, The Management of Cultural Heritage in 2008, and Managing Cultural Heritage in 2016. He is also active in management and accounting historical perspectives, particularly on the history of the Venice Arsenal. He is involved in international teaching in arts management. Until 2020, he was director of the graduate degree in innovation and organizational culture at the University of Bologna and is adjunct fa- faculty in the Master in Arts Management at Carnegie Mellon University and the CAFA, the China Academy of Fine Arts in Beijing. Lucas San, thank you very much for being with us today at the New Books Network. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the invitation and the opportunity. Uh, before we jump into the book, uh, I would like to make uh, one question for the benefit of new scholars or or early career scholars, which is, uh, given your your very large track record in producing and editing books, how would you go about, or what would be the the main um, teaching point or learning experience that you would share with them about writing a book and selecting an an editorial house and so on? Well, you know, in my case, this this question is a, a, a bit strange. I, I'm in the management field mostly. I mean, institutionally, institutionally, I'm based in the management department. Mark Carrier is in the management field, and in the manager's field, normally we do not 
produce book. I mean, we are uh, asked to 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 write articles, to to write articles in journals that are ranked. Uh, I hate all these kind of things, to be honest. Uh, so basically, uh, it, it really depends on the field of your specific field. But in a, in a sense, to me, writing a book is a kind of hobby. You know, it is not rewarding from a career point of view, which I think it's crazy. But this is the system. And, um, and, and indeed, what I normally do, and I'm doing also in another research project now, I first try to, to, to do what I think is interesting to me. So I, in a sense, I'm writing uh, kind of research reports that, that, are, that are interesting to me. And then I'm thinking in terms of books, perhaps. And then I'm thinking in terms of extracting one or two articles that can be published in journals. And uh, so that's a, a bit crazy context, but perhaps it's different in business history, perhaps it's different in another. But and also what I did, what I found nice in, in this in this case, this is a, a kind of instant book. The instant book is 50,000 words. And um, I had also to bargain with pictures and figures and photographies that, that you have. So you you have to bargain in the sense that you I don't want more pictures, you, you lose words. But I mean, this uh, this uh, this idea of 50,000 words is incredibly interesting. That forces you to be focused on, on, on what you say and, and, and any single word, I mean, yeah, is that worth <laughs> the, 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 because of the constraints? So uh, I think that's a very nice, nice, uh, experience. I mean, and it's really, I'm, I'm not sure is the kind of things I would suggest at the beginning of the career, to be honest. Um, maybe, but it depends from the field, of course. But but this is really in terms of, you know, uh, even in terms of trying to make things that are robust from an academic point of view, but also that can be, uh, that can reach a, a wider public. So, once again, and given the, the silly rules of the academic game sometimes, I'm not sure it's the best way to, to start with in terms of a career. So maybe at the beginning, I would suggest a less uh, or a more conventional way in a sense. Yes, thank you. It is it is um, a pity that the promotion and uh, rewards are tied to articles given that books are have a longer shelf life and also allow you to reach, as in this case, a much wider audience. But um, I'm also enthusiastic about series like uh, Rutledge Focus, which are these short books that, you know, can't help and can, you know, are, are, is, um, are easier to read for an audience that will not engage with a longer uh, discussion. It depends on the topic as well. but. Thank you for that. Let's get into the essence of uh, today's book, which is the Venice Arsenal. And for the people who are not totally familiar with what the Venice Arsenal is, let's give a very broad explanation. I will, and I will try my, my hand first, and you will correct me. Oh. Yeah. Um, so the Venice Arsenal, what you try to do in, in this project is a, is a quite that challenging task because uh, the arsenal was a shipyard but was also 
a place for military innovation and the storage of uh, ammunition and, and gunpowder within the, the city of Venice. As, as such, the, the space, which is quite big, I don't remember the, the, the um, um, exact number of square meters, I think uh, 40, be... 48 hectares. 48 hectares, okay, excellent, which is, which is a huge, huge uh, space, has been in use for about nine, 900 years, and you are looking at the last 40 years of, of this uh, history as, as how to rescue and continue this, this space to continue evolving. Uh, is that a fair description? Yes, with the with the, just the major details, what what I'm looking at is, a, is in a sense is the double lenses. From one point of view, I'm looking at the arsenal, the Venice arsenal, as a historical site for production, as a, a business historian, an accounting historian, a management historian. So this is one of my main research interests, and I'm bringing it to the discussion. So what, what I really try to do in this book is to couple two different streams of research that are normally disjointed and connected. One is history, business history, economic history, management, organizational history, whatever you want to call it, and heritage. So we, I'm looking at both sides. So I'm looking at what's going on now in the last 40 years when the History of the site is, is basically the end of production of ships. So the, 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 it's a process of de-industrialization, de-militarization. So what to do with these 48 hectares of, of uh, old buildings? And, the, and this is part of the discussion, but the other part of the discussion is what they have been doing there for 815 years before the, the end of this long history. And you know, they, this is really fascinating in terms of you know, the possibility of, of studying longitudinal uh, a longitudinal view of one organization for nine centuries, you know. Uh, there are not that many organizations that have been around for such a long period. And that that is so so I, I'm not an architect, so I'm not interested only on walls and the transformation of Spaces, which is crucial and the most uh, the most important things to do as a starting point. What I'm interested also how these spaces were changing as organizations that were supposed to produce shapes ammunition and whatever. And that's what makes this book fascinating because in a in this very short format, you're able to introduce not only different authors. As as the, the the book title says, you're you're the editor, but you you take a lead by bringing these themes that they you know other other people are are talking about and uh, bring them back to management slash organizational slash accounting history and and reflecting you know it and and, and giving this anchor to to the discussion. So you are indeed able to go into these very different directions that would not, as you say, live together, 
in in mm-hmm. a single title uh but but help us make 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 sense of that now one of the first things that that you um touch on and and that I also mentioned when I sent you the invitation is the role of the arsenal as as a, a place for management innovation yeah. and for a number of of people in in business history and maybe in strategy as well who have read Chandler the you know when you mention an arsenal it's it's the west point arsenal that that comes into the, into four as as that is is um uh, in, in a number of ways argued to be the um, source of a number of innovations that then spread out and and you know you have this history of capitalism and this cornerstone there and you rightly so query this this uniqueness and saying well listen we we have here in Italy also a very big arsenal that is also responsible for a number of of innovations and this is happening even before the industrial revolution so how about that so I don't know if you have a uh, I want to elaborate on on this. Uh, I, I can go on for years on that. <laughs> and I, before it passed, I, I met Humphrey uh, Chandler. He was in in Milan. We were talking about that, and we finally acknowledged that yes, I mean, what he says is relevant. It, from what he said, uh, say that his analysis is relevant from a, a I would say a, a statistic point of view in terms of. The, the 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 dimension of the phenomenon of the impact of the phenomenon, yet in terms of individual experience, it, 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 well, yeah, yeah, maybe there was something uh, even before, but I mean that that's a very serious uh, aspect, I know, and and uh, uh, since something uh, before I leave uh, Alfred Chandler, something which is really paradoxical to me, the Chandler was in Baltimore. And in Baltimore, it was also Frederick Lane. And Frederick Lane is perhaps the most important scholar of Venice. And he wrote a lot, even in terms of the arsenal. So it's interesting. I'm sure that, that they share some beer or coffee or whatever. Uh, I'm sure that's something I would like to, to go in the archive in Baltimore sooner or later at the Johns Hopkins University. I'm sure they they knew each other, and I'm sure you know we we academic we talk about what what we do. So I'm sure this they share some words of what they were doing, and this is really interesting that Chandler completely ignored that, ignored Venice. You know, in some books talking about the history of management, you have a quotation via Frederick uh, Lane of what some reference to the arsenal, but then. Uh, not, not in Chancellor, and this is really interesting in, in why and how. And what the reason is, you know, that, that's a very central point with, you know, with the, the spirit of time and the Anglo domination. We, we, we are here, you're, we are speaking in English, which is not our language. I, I, don't, I don't know whether it's your mother language or not, but uh, but the, the the problem is when we all all these sources are written in other languages, how sure we are that we simply identify the right history at the right moment, or we are simply ignoring because we are unable to deal with other sources? You know, 
uh, and will come back to Venice. I'm working with Chinese colleagues on the on the management of the Nanjing shipyards in 1541. So that is written in Chinese. So you uh, there's a main problem of access to sources. Uh, and I guess this is really one of the, uh, 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 I would say the mistake, it's a bias, I guess, more than, than a mistake, that, you know, that, uh, something before Industrial Revolution was completely out of the mind Particularly if you consider the history of the U.S., you know, and what was the U.S. in the 16th or 17th century. But if you think of the organization, I mean, that the, the arsenal itself in Venice had 3,000 workers, which is the double of the railroad company that Chandler was referring to 100 years later. So it's really something that was out of the perception, I would say, and out of the sources, basically. But it is there, and you know, uh, uh, this is not just Italy. It's not just Europe. It's uh, I'm sure that that the, the same bias did, uh, uh, that we simply forget what, what was happening in, in the rest of the world. You know, that's that's kind of West centrism that that we have. You know, I'm sure that in terms of uh, state manufacturing, you can have in China. Or even in the Ottoman period, a lot of things to, to, to find out in terms of organizing. You know, the organization of production is in itself, everywhere, anywhere, at any time. The real problem with management is whether you find something written about that. You know, the pyramids are very unlikely to be constructed by randomly. You, you need a serious kind of organization. To, to, to build it, or churches, or whatever it is. The problem is that if you don't have sources, you, you, you simply look at the, the, the artifact to say what's beautiful, that's impressive. What is really interesting in the Venice Arsenal is that we had text. They were, I, they were asked to write report about what was going on in the Arsenal. So I, I can read this guy's 1586, that I share the same concern that I have. It's my culture as a management expert, as a management consultant or whatever, researchers, that they're raising similar questions. That, that I, when, I, when I first read this documents, 1586, I was really, you know, when you uh, start, oh, Jesus, that's Easy. That's unbelievable, and it is. Thank you for that. It it is, but and and, and as you as you um, in 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 response, you 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 touch on a number of of things. I, I mean, this was not meant to downplay the contribution of Chandler, but just to point that we 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 can and should broaden our our discussions in the emergence of capitalism, because. In the latter part of your response, in my view, you're touching on two very important things. One of them is what is management and what how do we define that? Because for historians, that is important in trying to establish uh, when a phenomenon is, is is taking place and and defining management and and managers is is um, is difficult. Or at least there's no consensus. And secondly, whether these processes are limited to a capitalist organization or not. I mean, you mentioned the pyramid. 
but we would we could say that you know to to talk about management with it or modern management that's taking place in in a in in a capitalist uh the profit seeking um organization that would put it in the industrial revolution and and beyond but nevertheless i think that both in the book and in your answer you point to a very important thing that has received relatively little attention which is the history of of management processes rather than of man- manager as 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 an individual that sometimes comes across as you know in in a gendered way our, our picture is is of a is of a male white uh, middle class maybe protestant as as as, as you say in, in an anglo-saxon setting to you know how are people dealing with different um issues of organizing and of uh, being able to um relocate resources from one place to the other in a purposeful way you know much deeper than you're going in the in the book in a, in a way but uh so let's go back to the let's go back to the book and you have four parts i don't know if you want to tell us how you thought about splitting this this uh story into four main sections yeah i mean uh, this is uh an edited book in english that follows another couple of edited books in italian uh, about this topic so uh, that were related to some initiative that we have in terms of uh, conferences. So, and one of the main point is that for the book as such, uh, more than academic book dedicated to scholars and only to scholars, this is really trying to make things happen. You know, the the situation of the arsenal is split, as we will talk later, in terms of what they are doing now with the arsenal, it's quite uh, sad and and, uh, badly managed, sorry to use this word. Uh, But but, so basically we were trying to make things change. So in a sense, it's more a kind of, uh, if you say kind of civic engagement, not not simply uh, ivory tower kind of research. So the whole part is one it's a, what we were talking about uh, before but it's just a reminder it's a it could be three books in on its own this is the very crucial organization all the history of administration for the history of management it's all why I mean what so all this discussion we were having before just a reminder to the to the to the reader is not simply recovering a industrial heritage side, it's understanding its importance and relevant from the historical point of view. So this is the first part. The second part is on the on the process of decay, you know, uh, there's nothing as lack of users or buildings to make the decay very, very quickly. So when the production, mini production and was uh, abandoned and basically after World War II, soon after the the, 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 the there was nothing really going on and it was simply non used. And this is a so negative in terms of impact of the buildings themselves. So there was a lot of decay, a lot of uh, 
problems or, or, or what remains with the presence of reuses. This is one of the basic points with industrial heritage. You know, uh, industrial heritage is when you have a business that has been out set out of the market, basically, it's a kind of creative destruction. This is a destruction of creativity elsewhere. And you have to decide what to do. Do you bulldoze everything or not? Uh, unfortunately, not in the case of that. So the second part is mainly of what happened in terms of discussion of the reuses of the arsenal, starting from 1980, basically, or 40 years of the break. Part three in particular has a focus on the idea of a museum of the arsenal that was a huge project carried out uh, around 2000, ending in 2007, uh, which is very interesting in itself because it's really how to, to, to narrate the story, how to help the potential visitor to understand what was. This com incredibly complex set uh, of buildings that have been transformed for centuries. Not to say the intangible part of it. And uh, also, this is important, this third part, because the idea of a museum is also kind of excuse to force open access to the site, which is not the case at the moment. And then the, the 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 fourth part is more kind of research agenda. What we learned in terms of understanding industrial heritage sites of this kind, how we can go further on on, on that. So these are the four parts. But then there is an appeal of we will talk later, perhaps uh, once we were in press, there was something happening that I needed to write a print say, come on, please another thing to discuss. Yes, we can we can touch on on it now if you want to. It's uh, perfectly okay. We and then come back to challenges of of managing heritage and managing uh, shipyards uh, as a heritage site, which are some of the other very interesting topics that you bring out here. Uh, yeah, I would, would you like to to start from the from the end? So just oh, what you prefer? Uh, <laughs> Up to you. Yeah, but just just to see, just to see. Uh, you know, we are not uh, academics lost nowhere. We are part of a game. We are part of a conflict. Uh, once, uh, when we were in test with this book, there was a, a very interesting, important, uh, I would say, negative event that the municipality of Venice with the Ministry of Defense and the Ministry of Culture agreed to push to split one part of this uh, of the arsenal completely out of any of the points that were discussed for 40 years uh, in Venice, including a couple of master plans that have been published in 2001, 2015, uh, ignoring totally the idea of the museum. So, out of the blue, they came out with this idea of splitting this part and part of it will be used by the Biennale, uh, part of it will be used by the Navy, who knows why and what, and without any link to any kind of previous discussion and plan. 
So that was, and also was very politically very imposing to the city uh, this idea with any participation. So there is an issue here of the arsenal, uh, which is crucial, which is the lack of access. So basically, this is one sixteenth of Venice, this huge area, which normally you cannot get in. You cannot get in in the military, the navy part. You cannot get in in the Biennale part unless you pay twenty-four dollar euros. Sorry, euros for six months a year because when the Biennale is off, you cannot get in at all. So. That, that's you know if you if you think in terms of the, the of Nara uh, of a um, convention, I mean, the citizens has the right to reach. Venetians cannot get in, basically, and uh, that was not case during the discussion for forty years. So and this is what is talking uh, what would happen uh, last year. But this let me go to the very end. Just to see, it, it, it's not simply academic stuff. No, this is next couple of months. The Biennale Architecture will open, and uh, we have been invited by the Austrian Pavilion to do something that really interesting. The Austrian Pavilion—they wanted to to have open access. You know, there's an initial contradiction with the Biennale because they are talking about inclusion. Then the citizen cannot get in. So they wanted to have a half of the pavilion free access. So they were opening a door, temporary door on the wall, and that would have been free access, and they are normal access from the Bina. And they were not allowed to do that, but there will be, in, in any case, that they would keep the, the, the half pavilion empty, saying that is what we wanted to do, but we were not allowed. But there is an issue, the crucial issue, of access to the arsenal, which has not, which have been removed, is not under discussion anymore. But this is what we are doing now. In in a, so if you if you haven't yet come to any of you to, to come to the Venice Venice in the next month, then after May there will be the the, the Biennale Architecture will be open. So please come to the the the, the Ocean Pavilion. So it, it, it's still. The battle going on. Dude, and when you talk with people about what's going on and what is not happening in, in, in Venice and in the Arsenal in particular, all over the world, people say, how is it possible? So that, that is really the sense of this book. So we can go, go back now to details, but the idea is we want open access. We want people to get in and use the city, the part of the suit, you know, one of the problems here is that uh, the Biennale is not simply individual buildings. With a, with a set. I, mean, I, I love the Biennale. I'm always taking my students every year to Biennale Art or Biennale Architecture. So not, not, not an issue on this. The problem is that rather than the individual buildings, they have a monopoly on the space. So you cannot pass, you cannot walk in. So this happened for the Biennale part. This happened for the Navy part. So nobody can go there and walk. It's still uh, uh, off limits area. And and this, but this also points to uh, one of the assumptions or one of the starting points 
of the book and indeed of, of the story that you're telling, which is um, this arsenal has been built with public money, may of one sort of the other, and 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 it and it's a very important part of the heritage of the city, and therefore is ultimately of the citizens of 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 Venice to have and to enjoy and to benefit from that. I, I mean, you 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 would have a very different uh, point of view, maybe in a, in a, in another part of the world, where they say, well, this is you know just old buildings. We're gonna take them down and, uh, and build a, a huge skyscraper in in one of the most um, iconic cities in the in the world so that we can have a great hotel with a casino. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Now, that's the contradiction indeed, because uh, uh, still, despite all the problems, uh, uh, the arsenal in Venice is relatively well kept. So uh, that is that was really my surprise. This is the part two of the book, and uh, and that was this uh, first conference we had, and I was really shocked to see. I mean, there was a very quick process of decaying, physically decaying. You know the roofs that were falling down. It's a pity I cannot share the the pictures with the with the audience because they're really very telling. So. Uh, that was really serious problem of survival of the physical buildings. Then a lot had been done silently, in silence, I would say, in in the last 20, 30 years. I mean, we have laws up, up, that are not allowing you to, to, to bulldoze uh, uh, the heritage. Uh, and uh, so there were protecting in a sense, and they were also spending a lot of money to repair and the, the roofs, uh, to, to, to do some very interesting, even experiment of, you know, restoration, uh, which very interesting ideas of buildings within the buildings. So basically there is an auditorium which is inside one of the shed uh, that is not touching the walls, so it's not intruding, it's reversible, it's all those kind of things that uh, you, you, you talk when you're about uh, conservation. No, it's wonderful. So, uh, now that there, there is a technical problem here. I mean, the arsenal itself is huge, and individual buildings are huge, so they are not easy to reuse as is it's normal with industrial heritage. The easiest way is uh, real estate. You know, you make loft or you make an apartment. You, you cannot make apartments of, of these sheds. They are sort of hangar. Yeah, huge. What is 80 meter long and 24 meter large? It's a, it's a big loft. That's <laughs> too, too, too big. So it, it, there's no possibility of, of using it this way. So there were restoring uh, them. And what is interesting, uh, there, there were different institutions that were putting money, the, the Ministry of Culture, with this superintendency system, that is the Italian yeah. preserving heritage. There was other institutions. Well, that Biennale itself was getting money from the Ministry of Culture for restoring part of the buildings that they were using. So, but what if one of them Funny thing, you know, normally when you have a sponsor, 
gives you a penny he wants uh, to be you know his name its name all the advertise and reminded uh, nobody wanted to be quoted in a sense they were putting money in silence and even reconstructing how much has been done how much has been spent it's it's really difficult because nobody really wants to to appear in a sense no so but this is really uh, the, the problem is really the problem of reuses more than conservation in itself. So a lot of things have been done. The problem is if, if you have empty spaces and you restore them and you're not using them, in a matter of 10 or 20 years, you risk to go back to the same situation of decay. So but there's a, we have the culture of preservation, conservation in it, strong culture. So it won't be allowed, I mean, to do what, what they are doing here in Pittsburgh. I mean, I, I'm based in Pittsburgh at this moment, and I love this, the, the, the sense of the historical downtown there. Well, year to year, the, you, you see one, one building meets in another building, as you will say. Now, that's not the case in Venice. They were preserving, they're still preserved. Well, the real problem is that, oh, you know, what to do, the reuses, how to reuse that. Yeah, that's a, that's a contradiction in a sense. In other countries, they would have been, uh, they would have done even worse in a sense, that they would have destroyed or uh, turned down everything. We didn't, but then is what do you do with this? Exactly. And uh, you also, as you were talking, you reminded me of this uh, international debate or at least it, it hit the, the international media of of the uh, old houses in Shanghai, which mm-hmm. are a very particular architecture, and they're just disappearing left and right. And there is no commitment uh, for restoration in, in that sense. And it has also happened in Mexico City, in the city center, and, you know, all over the place. But let me go back to one of the all the themes that you come out in the book, and that is very much with your uh, organizational, especially management accounting, uh, well, not management, but accounting historian hat on, which is the your, your uh, I wouldn't, let's say, criticism, or at least pointing out this lack of uh, property, this lack of, of um, fis- not, I wouldn't say fiscal, but certainly numeracy, in making the the arguments you say well there are all of these plans to create the 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 museum or to open access or even before and none of them are really you know that they are ideas but they are not uh, trying to sustain what they're saying with uh in a way that it can be audited or at least verified or at least getting an idea of how they come for the number of of you know that they say well it's have a million visitors a year well how do they come for this for for this number no and 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 is that something that it's more because of the lens that you are using and where you're coming from or do or how important it is for art management to to have these uh tools of management to to make an argument i mean that that is really interesting you know uh, and and it's also paradoxically as i put it because it's in a place where management has been invented or you have this early example of management uh, and you have no management at all in terms of all these ideas and projects i mean and this is really 
uh, I guess this is why arts management as a field is emerging in the last years because, I mean, there are all this kind of uh, projects of such dimension that uh, yeah, needs to be to be tested in terms of visibilities, in terms of risks, in terms of, you know, how much, uh, how much would they cost? What are the alternatives? You know, I have one of the thing I was mentioning this very interesting experiments of uh, buildings inside the buildings. But you know, when architects do things of this kind, they never think in terms of cost. So you know, what what, what the, the 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 opportunity cost uh, for doing that or not doing that? What are the alternatives that you could have had? There's something that normally architects, you know, like a like artists in general, you know, in the arts field, that's of course funny in working in this area. But they, they work in terms of general value, universal value. You know, you're a professional, you want the best, and you never question the budget, you know. And it's really interesting to see that in any, in any of this debate and discussion, there was any reference to, to numbers, as you said. The numbers of different kind of in terms of potential users, uh, investment, uh, running cost, uh, and this is really amazing because the 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 the, the best project could easily fail uh, without in essence of this kind of you know I, I'm not a a, a, a neoliberal. Uh, economist, I'm not saying that uh, you know, saving is everything uh, that uh, in the art field you will kill the art. But I mean, being aware of how much it, it costs, how much it could cost, uh, how much that is so crucial in terms of you know uh, uh, feasibility, in terms of risk. And that was in, sorry. Now, in fact, this was the end of this beautiful project of the museum. So they basically uh, had a very, you know, that was a museum that was interesting one fifth of, of the of the whole arsenal, a huge area, twenty thousand square meter, and they had a very detailed uh, architectural plan, master plan for restoring each individual building, you know, from the basement walls and the... So, and that was up to 60 million euros, but they never calculate the cost of setting up, you know, in making it a museum requires other money. And then when you're opening the doors, you have running costs and you have revenues. I'm sorry to, 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 to be so trivial, but I mean, that... That's life with organizations. So and, and so they were just having a tender that nobody really applied because how who would be so silly to to commit it himself or herself without knowing the 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 cost, the revenues, the potential, the uh, the economic sustainability. So that was really the main problem. And this is really really an historical issue. I mean, architects. Uh, Never, never care that much to to the uh, running uh, running costs are these trivial issues of uh, maintenance or development costs. And this is a this is a new era indeed, and in fact, 
things are uh, are changing, uh, and that already changed so many places in the world. Yeah, well, that was that. That is a interesting for me because my grandfather made was an architect, and he made his name. So many. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. But but the the interesting thing is that he made his name as a great project manager. Uh-huh. I mean, he he did some. He he died young. And did some interesting architectural contributions, mm-hmm. uh, not said by me, but has been recognized. But but really, he made his name as an excellent project manager. And actually, we we, we have a colleague at the uh, Manchester uh, Business School where where they have uh-huh. a project management modules, and they are run by so happens a, a Mexican architect. Nothing to do with me, but uh, mm-hmm. but uh, but it, to my mind, you know, architects are are. Might not be very good with numbers in, in terms of budgets, but they're certainly good. I mean, a good architect will be a, a, a good project manager. But but anyway, um, look at that. So, you know, you know, this is really a question that happen that happens with all professional fields. That with doctors is the same. With healthcare is the same. If you're a good doctor, you want to save people, whatever the cost. But then, if you are in charge of a hospital, you, you have to care about because yeah, you have to compromise, you have to to trade off. And this is really what what is fascinating in this field of arts management. You know, you always have this contradiction, and you have to to to, to bargain, you have to trade off. Um, but that this is really in in the last decades before what, what was not the point. It was not trade off in a sense. Thank you. Is there something else from the book that we're missing and, and that you think that we should uh, mention? I mean, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, the framework that we are developing, you know, it's uh, working on this scale, really, uh, it came it came out, uh, you know, when you're talking, using the lenses of management, you, you can use at three different levels. What, what, what I can bring in as a management expert, in a sense, in, in particular, I'm talking about industrial heritage. Well, don't. there are three levels. The first level is how I can see the history of this production entity, production organization. So this is what I was referring to the first part of the book. And also here, it's very interesting, you have I have de- developed this notion. I love the, the, I love the term industrial archaeology more than industrial heritage. But in Europe, we use industrial, um, but industrial archaeology use, it makes you think that you really have to, to to dig to find things that are not there to do. So, and what is interesting here, I mean, you have this kind of potential stratigraphy of organizing. You no, know, these organizations that have been around for such a long period. You could write the history of of Europe, perhaps looking at the different layers of organizing, uh, and, and what you can see the implication of the changes uh, uh, over uh, nine hundred years. So th- this is this is one first uh, contribution that we as manager scorer can bring in, which is understanding the intangible, the history of the intangible. So the history of organizing. And the second is to help architects or urban developers or 
uh, barriers when they are dealing with industrial heritage. How, to what extent, and how keep part of the history in new projects of reusing of the sites. And you can simply transform it in a in a loft with a with a plaque, or, or even without. Uh, or you can keep some of it. You can uh, you can preserve both part the machinery. You can give idea of what was going on with different kind of technologies and media. But we can be in a sense contributor even from that point of view. How you narrate the history of the site that are not more used as a production site. And the third one is what we were entering. Once you had this new site uh, that uh, with a new concept with this defined, which has already defined to what extent give space to the history, to the narration of history itself, then you can use methods from a third point of view, which is how feasible it is. So in terms of cost, running cost, uh, revenues, margins, uh, investment, people, etc., visitors, etc. So there are three different layers that, that you can bring in with the management lenses. But that, I mean, all of them were forgotten completely in the case of them. So it's a case of bad practice that can teach us much more than good practice or best practice. You know, you can learn so much from from all the mistakes that were done here. But really, this framework sounds to me very promising. And, and you know, one of the things that we are doing next is that uh, in connection with the, with the, with the Biennale, 2023, we are inviting uh, representatives of historical shipyards in Europe to discuss the same process of transformation. You know, uh, and it's fascinating because you get a completely different history, a completely different path. So th th this is really, it, it, it from a, you know, but it, it, if we are able to give this three layers of attention, which is looking at history, looking how history is presented, and looking at the future. Yeah, even in terms of, you know, the, the, the contribution to, to, to our business history or economic history, you know, that was so important. I mean, it's not just the Danish arsenal that was important. And all this shipyards uh, have been so important in the history of Capitalism, and we go back to the first point, if you want, is uh, and have been so complex. Can you imagine managing PPRs from the fleet to the India's company? You know, can you imagine the the challenges that? Uh, and so, uh, so this is a the, the the trying to apply this articulated framework, avoiding this the, the condition of over. Fragmented, you know, visualization by so each of us working at its narrow focus, but try to have this multidisciplinary, but interdisciplinary focus. So maybe in a year or two, but I would say more two than one, we can discuss another book, which you know, which is still an, an edit book. But you know, uh, back to the first question: you know, edit book doesn't pay anything in terms of career development. 
perhaps so important in terms of you know, the contribution to debate or focusing on some discussion and points. So that will be another edited book in a couple of years. I would, I hope so. Well, you've you've answered my my last question, which is was what was your 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 last project, and in in that, having edited some some books my myself, I I think that one of the things that you did very nicely, as I mentioned at the beginning, is being able for the different parts of the book to talk to each other, which has, that is the main challenge of having an, an edited book. When, when you have a couple of authors that are uh, intervening, sometimes you know they you, you find people writing their own piece and they don't really talk to each other. And it, that's certainly the case with, with a number of, of, of edited books where you know they're, they're just standalone, almost articles or long articles. Sure. But, Making making the parts talk to each other, and and you've made a great effort and and you know great success in each and every time bringing things back to to the fore. And just uh, just uh, before we we finish, I'll, I'll give you a a, a, a small anecdote uh, about why shipyards are still relevant. And talking to a very large uh, bank, which a global systemic bank, uh, <clears throat> the head of uh, uh, one of the uh, very important human resources person um, basically got his ex his experience in dealing with you know how do you rationalize uh, a large number of banks precisely by dealing with the closure of shipyards in in his uh, home country so you know you still have that communication of of management processes and and uh, between different industries and and probably we we have forgotten the importance of of shipyards as as they you know either move east or 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 they are not uh, as important as they were at the beginning of the 20th or late 19th century you know where, when shipbuilding was one of the critical industries uh for for development but uh, anyway it'll be very interesting as in judge uh, also, from this point of view, the whole process of deindustrialization has huge impact. I mean, in terms of social employment, I mean, they're really uh, the more we go to where you know delocalization. I mean, that you know we are transforming our cities. I mean, and it's uh, really, and the case of Venice is really impressive in terms of the debt, the, the risk of killing a city. You know. There are nowadays just 50,000 inhabitants in, in Venice. The historical part, the, the so-called fish, you know, the, while the municipality is 280,000, which is Mestre and Venice. So, but, 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 but then these are, even in terms of impact, social impact, are huge processes that risk to destroy the, the whole fabric of social fabric, you know, with tourism, over tourism, all these kind of things. That will that risk to happen and, and for sure that happened in Venice. Right. Thank you very much, Lucasan, for being with us at New Books New, New Books Network today. It has been a super interesting uh, conversation. Hope to have you here again in a year or two when you have your new book. And, <laughs> or any other book. And to um the the those who have kindly um listened to this interview, we appreciate your time. If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe to the podcast. And if you are a subscriber, rank us or send us a comment. That always helps and to know what we are doing right and what we could do better. 
again, Lucasan, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. It was really a good opportunity. Thanks again. Thanks for the listener. Thanks so much. I see you with the next book.